You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. supplied everything we would need to live a successful Christian life. He has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. He has shared with us everything that we could need. God really doesn't have to do anything more for us. There's no more work that is necessary. He has given us everything that pertains to spiritual life, a life of godliness, and this abundance, this life comes through the knowledge of God. Imagine knowing what you should do, when you should do it, and everything in between. Guess what? Study Jesus' life because He has shown you this by His actions and words, as Pastor Dave explains today, from the book of John. It's through this relationship that your eyes are open to God in His way that's life-giving. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17 as he begins his message, Jesus prays for His disciples. John 17, if you will, please turn to John 17. And we are continuing this study of Jesus' prayer. And it is such a powerful prayer that I just can't break it up. I just can't go through it real, I mean, I have to break it up. I can't go through it real fast. It's just something that that is just touching my heart. So we're going to read verses 6 through 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning in verse 6 for today's study. John writes Jesus' words, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So, a second grade teacher gave an assignment to her class for the students to bring in an item from home that represented their religious background. She wanted to teach the kids about the diversity in the world and how different people worship God. At show and tell time, they began to share their particular item that meant to their faith. They each one had an item and how it related to their faith. Catholic child brought rosary beads and shared to the class how they used the beads in prayer. There was a Native American child who brought a dream catcher, and he told the class how to place a dream catcher above their heads to capture their dreams and all the things they had at night. They would filter out the bad ones and hold the good dreams in their memory. A Jewish child brought a candle and shared how they used to celebrate Hanukkah. Then little Davy stepped up. He pulled some food out of his bag and he said, I'm from Calvary Chapel and I bought a chicken casserole. <laughs> There's absolutely no reason why he told you that joke. I don't know. So. I just thought it was hysterical, so I wanted to say that to you. So anyhow. 
We have been studying Jesus' prayer in John 17. Someone said this about this prayer, quote, Jesus' high priestly prayer found in John 17 is only about 650 words. It takes only three minutes and 30 seconds to read it aloud, but it will take all eternity for us to understand it fully, unquote. And then he continued by saying, quote, Jesus' high priestly prayer is worthy of our greatest study as we seek to learn from and imitate our great co-heir as he approaches our father, unquote. I don't think the Apostle John ever forgot the scene in which this prayer was uttered. I think it was burned and etched into his heart. They had left the upper room. They were making their way through the vineyards as we discussed. They were walking around Jerusalem on their way out the eastern gate, down the Kidron Valley. They were headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. In all likelihood, as they passed, Jesus would say, look at that vineyard. I am the vine. You are the branches. The bright moonlit night because it was Passover. Jesus stands and stops. And he lifts up his voice to heaven. He looks up and stretches his arm and he begins to pray this beautiful, poignant prayer to the Father. To take this prayer and to put it in one message would be like me asking you to take a bucket and go out to the Atlantic Ocean and empty it one bucket at a time. It's impossible. We can't put it in one message. I've broken it down and I'm going to continue to break it down. I can't get past two or three verses as I go on. But as we study, Jesus has finished praying for himself, and he now turns his attentions to his beloved disciples. And as the great high priest, he's going to make intercession for them. He's going to place them in the hands of the Father. He's going to commit them to the Father, and he's going to pray for their well-keeping. He's going to pray for their protection. He's going to pray for their strength, because he knows what lies ahead. He knows what's coming down the pike, and he wants to make intercession for these guys. And what I see in this is I see Jesus, the one true good shepherd. He is a good shepherd. He loved these guys. He looked out for them. He cared for them in every way. But he really, truly, honestly loved them. He knew everything they sacrificed to follow him. He knew exactly what they gave up. I mean, one of the scriptures says, Peter says, Lord, we gave up everything to follow you. Jesus knew that. He knew how much he meant to them. And I don't know if they knew how much... They meant to him. And he was telling them that in this prayer. And he knew that they didn't belong to him. They belonged to the Father. The Father had given them to him. I have told you many times, for some crazy reason, the Lord has made me shepherd of this church. He's made me overseer of this church. But you don't belong to me. You belong to God. You're his children. And I need to treat you that way. You don't belong to me. So Jesus is treating these guys of his the same way. He's treating them as what they were, the father's flock. And we saw in verse 6 that Jesus manifested the father clearly to these men, the chosen 11. Remember, Judas has already left. And there's just 11 of them left. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And now they have kept your word. Jesus says, I have manifested your name. We studied this at great length. 
Jesus declared the Father to them. He showed the Father to them, not just by words, but by demonstration, by actions. Jesus had given the disciples a revelation of who the Father was, the great I Am, Jehovah, the Becoming One. And all the things that he said he was, the bread of life, the living water, the good shepherd, the vine, all those things that he said using the word I am. I am was the name of God. I am. He demonstrated the Father's love. He demonstrated the Father's nature and the Father's character. He showed the disciples and he shows us that through his word, we can't do anything without him. We're in desperately need of him. And as I studied this, I was taken to Peter. And Peter says these beautiful words in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read 2 and 3. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. God has supplied everything we would need to live a successful Christian life. He has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus. He has shared with us everything that we could need. God really doesn't have to do anything more for us. There's no more work that is necessary. He has given us everything that pertains to spiritual life, a life of godliness. And this abundance, this life comes through the knowledge of God. This life continually pours out to us through the knowledge of God by his Holy Spirit. How important it is that we come to know who God is. And how important it is that we know how to know God. What's the key to knowing God? How do we know him? There's only one resource book in the entire world. There's one resource book in the entire world. Go into the bookstore, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of books on how to lose weight. Thousands and thousands and thousands of books on this, that, and the other. But there is only one true book on how to know God. And this is the book. This is the one right here that tells us how to know God. In this is God's revelation to us through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, Christ concealed. The New Testament, Christ revealed. You see... If I develop what I feel that God must be like, then all of a sudden I think of myself as the most ideal form and I project that as God. <laughs> but that's pretty short. That's way short, in fact. So I can't accept any man's understanding or revelations of God. I cannot accept any man's understanding and revelation of God because those understandings are centered around that person's responsibility and that person's personality and their traits. It's important that I understand and the revelation of God that comes from him, comes from God himself. I'm having trouble with a situation and I need wisdom. What does the book say? Pray and ask for wisdom and God will give it to you. Anything I need in the book, it tells me what to do and how to get it. Through Jesus Christ. Most complete revelation came through Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this. God in various times and divers spoke ways spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days has spoken to us by his own dear son. So it's through Jesus Christ that I come to a knowledge and understanding of God. And as I come to this knowledge, and as I come to this understanding, I grow in grace. I grow in the grace of God. And as I come to the knowledge and understanding, I find that God has given me everything. 
He has given me everything I need for a life of godliness. He's called me to this life, and he called me to live it, and he called me to give him glory and praise for it. And I do that. So Jesus has manifested the Father perfectly to these guys. He manifested teaching them that he was the one true living God, the great I am. And then he also did something which was unheard of. He taught them that God was their father, calling him heavenly father, that God was their father. This was so important that the gospel of John, the writer John used the term father 53 times in chapters 13 through 17. John uses the name father for God 122 times in his entire gospel. John's trying to tell us something here. In Jesus' message to the Jews, he repeatedly made it clear that the Father had sent him, that he was equal to the Father, and that the words that came out of his mouth were the Father's words. But the problem was, because he claimed this deity, the stiff-necked religious leaders would not believe him. They would not accept him. They resisted the Holy Spirit's guidance. They resisted the Holy Spirit's conviction. So Jesus says, I've manifested the Father to them. I've manifested you, Lord, to them. And then he speaks of the, to the Father about the disciples' response to that manifestation. And that's where we are in today's message. We find that as Jesus prays to the Father, he confirms to the, him that those he gave him had kept his word. That they have known all things were given to Jesus by him, that they received them, and that they believed them. And this is important. This is most remarkable. This is a powerful testimony about these guys. This is a very, very remarkable testimony. And it could be a remarkable testimony about you. Is Jesus saying the same thing about you today? Those ones that you've given me, they've kept your word. They've kept your word. They believe that everything that you've told me, I've told them. They believe that I've come from you. They've received your word and they believe. Can Jesus say that about you today? It's remarkable, powerful testimony. How could Jesus assert these things about these 12 guys, 11 guys? I mean, after all, let's face it. Most of these guys weren't the sharpest tacks in the bunch. In fact, one commentator says this. They were mostly dull of understanding and prone to selfish ambition, unquote. Sounds like me, if you want to know the truth. Dull of understanding. But yet Jesus asserts to the Father that these men accomplished these very things. He prayed, they have kept your word. Look at 6b. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. The Greek word used for kept here means to guard, means to hold on to, to keep your eye on. They've kept the Father's word. And the idea is there that they believe God's word, they treasured God's word, and they held God's word fast to their heart. They had also fully recognized that Jesus was the uniqueness as God's son. They recognized the fact that Jesus was God and that he was God's son. They recognized his deity, and this was extremely important. Many have said that when Jesus said these things, he was being most generous. He was being most generous saying that they have kept your word. But I think he knew for a fact. I think he knew for a fact. In fact, I can prove it. You don't have to go there. But if in John 2, in John 2, verses 23 through 25, it says this. 
Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knows what's in man. He knows what is in a man or woman's heart. He knows that. Jesus knew that some of these people only believed him because he did various signs and wonders. He knew that their faith was thin. It was superficial. It wasn't based on anything except these signs and wonder. So Jesus didn't commit himself to them. But the disciples were different. To all the disciples, even Judas at the time, Jesus committed himself to them. He spent hours with them, speaking to them, declaring the Father's words to them. Can you imagine sitting around a campfire and listening to Jesus expound on God the Father? Can you imagine what that must have been like? What I love about this is that Jesus knows what's in each of our hearts. He knows what's in your heart even today, even right now. He knows what's in your heart. And guess what, folks? In spite of that, he still loves us. In spite of what's in your heart even now, he still loves us. Jesus knows the worst, but he also sees the image of God in each of us. Jesus looked upon me. He looked upon me, the worst of all sinners. He saw me in my darkest hour. He saw me committing my darkest deeds, and yet he loved me enough to go to a cruel Roman cross and die in my place. He loved me enough to go to a cross, hang there, and die so that I could have salvation. If you don't see love in that, folks, then we're going to have a hard time explaining it. If you can't see the love of God in that. In chapter 16, we studied when Jesus was talking to the disciples there. And they said, in verse 30, Now we are sure that you know all things, and we have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God, and Jesus answered and said, do you now believe? I think Jesus understood their belief. He understood their faith. As shaky as it was, Jesus understood their faith. He knows what's in your heart today. He knows the faith that you might have. He knows the weaknesses of your faith, but he still loves you. He continues to love you and he continues to want to pull you closer to him through his words. He wants to continue to pull you closer to him. And as you learn more of him through his word, as you glean more of him through his word, as you grow in the grace and knowledge of him, you will become more like him. Things will fade away. Sins that so easily ensnared you will go away. They'll be gone. And you will continue to look to him. And people will look in your life and go, wow, there's something different because you'll be manifesting Jesus. You'll be showing them Christ. The disciples kept the Father's word. The disciples also had knowledge. Look at verse 7. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. Now they know. The disciples professed this understanding, and Jesus was satisfied that it was true. So far as possible at this stage in the game. Like I said, he knew their faith was shaky at best, but he accepted it. Is your faith shaky today? Jesus will accept your faith, as little as it may be. He will accept as little as your faith may be, and he can work with that and make that grow in your heart. He will accept it for you. I love Peter's remarks. 
I love Peter's remarks. After the Lord spoke about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, there were so many people there. There was such a crowd there. And Jesus said this, and all of them left. All of them walked away because it was a hard thing. And there was only the 12 left. And yes, Judas was there at that time. And they left. I don't think Peter truly understood what was going on either. He didn't understand the spiritual emphasis that the Lord was saying. But they loved him so much. They loved Jesus so much. And they were going to stick with him through thick and thin. And we read in chapter 6, verse 68, when Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. He knew where life came from. He knew where life existed. It existed in the words of Jesus Christ. Do you know that today? Do you know that today? Can you say to Christ, where can I go? You have the words of life. Peter did. He made that profession. Time and time again, Jesus told the disciples that everything he said, everything he did came from the Father. Jesus was totally dependent on the Father. And I pray that the words that I speak would be the Lord's words, not my words. The last thing you need to hear is from me. What you need to hear from is God. What you need to hear from is the Holy Spirit. And I pray that I can step aside and let the Holy Spirit speak. Now, it's obvious from Scripture that the disciples didn't fully understand everything that Jesus was saying or doing. But they were convinced of his deity. And they were convinced that he came and was sent by the Father. This was a huge step of faith for them. And they only further reflects the unity between the Father and Son. They realized that the Father and Son was one. They realized Jesus' deity. So the disciples kept his word. They had known that all things were given to Jesus by the Father. And they received the Father's words. Look at verse 8. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. They received the words that Jesus gave out to them. The Greek word here used for receive means to take hold of, to take into your heart. They received the words of Jesus from the Father. They took them into their hearts. Their hearts became a receptor for God's words. And as I said, in Acts 17, didn't think I was going to get there, did you? In Acts 17, Dr. Luke is writing about the missionary trip to Berea in Acts 17. In Acts 17, in verse 11, Luke is writing about this. And actually, he says in 17, he says, Now, therefore, he reasoned, 1711, I'm sorry. He's talking about ministering in Berea. He said, these, talking about the Bereans, are more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They received the word of God. They received it as it was the word of God. They realized there was something special about Paul's words, and they received them. This is what's happening here. These disciples received Jesus' words because they knew it came from God. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.